Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? After worshiping, after we come and we understand what Jesus has done for us, that's what we come. Surrender to him with our arms up. Say, God, I surrender to you and give you my life. That's how we got to respond, right? I give you my all understanding. Jesus gave his all for us. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn them to Exodus chapter 20, and also, if you don't have the message outline, you can pick that up right out the center doors, right out there. It's a gold sheet of paper right out there at the ministry counter. I don't know about you, but I love the worship. You love the worship? I love the worship. There's something about worship, but those songs resonate with the need of our hearts to tell God, I love you. Amen? I love you. I need you. I'm so thankful to you. I'm so grateful to you. I so appreciate you. It doesn't mean that when we leave here, all the problems are gone, right? It doesn't mean that at all. It means that while we're here, that you and I have united vertically with the throne of God. And we leave here uh, changed. We leave here having hope in our hearts and minds. We leave here understanding that no matter what comes at us, that Almighty God knows all about it, and He's going to be here with us, right? All through it all. That even when we go through the fire, God is here with us, right? We go through the deepest waters, God is here with us, right? Every step of the way, we have that God is with us. Every step of the way. So don't miss this time to come together on Sunday morning. Don't let anything get in the way of you meeting here on Sunday morning that we worship together. It is interesting because many of us have lived at least in part of the 20th century, right? Some of you have not, but most of you have. And about halfway through the 20th century, it seemed like there was a renewed interest or emphasis on me, right? And focusing on, on me. Everything's about me that they started. It just didn't start here in the last 20 years. Some people think that. But it actually started last century, about the last 50 years of the last century. But find what your purpose is. Find your happiness. Look at what the success is. And do whatever you can to find those things. That's what it would say. Whatever you had to do, do it. But it's amazing. At least in the last five decades of the 20th century, anxiety levels went up, depression levels went up, suicide rates went up, and what some are calling the whole century, they call it the anxiety century or the me century, they, they find it didn't work very well. That you and I need relationships, we need family, we need each other, we need to be living for something more important and greater than ourselves. I want to share a story with you about a man that came, that came out of the 1930s in Austria. It's a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish man. He was known as a medical doctor specializing in neurology. And he, what he did, he coined what was called the logotherapy. I'm not trying to explain to you what logotherapy is. You can look that up for yourself. But he, he coined this. And while he was working on that, being in a Jewish family, he was kind of stuck. Uh, he wound up going to Auschwitz uh, concentration camp there. He, he was serving and digging ditches and working hard putting in railroads and digging tunnels and doing all those kind of things. And all the time with very little food. In the cold with very little clothing and very little sleep to go with that. And he had a chance to leave though Austria at a time before this all happened. He had an invitation from the American Embassy before the United States got into the war. And he had an invitation from the U.S. Embassy to come down and pick up this immigration visa to go to the United States where they can freedom and life and peace where they can continue to enjoy his studying and writing his books and doing all those things. He had the, the chance to do that. So he processed this, and he called it his dilemma. His parents were so excited that he might have the opportunity to leave and go to the United States and be free from that war and be out of that. But he put it this way, his dilemma. He says, could I really afford to leave my parents alone to face their fate? 
that sooner or later they'd be sent to a concentration camp or, or be sent to what a so-called extermination camp. Could I do that? Where did my responsibilities lie? He said, should I foster my brainchild logotherapy by immigrating to fertile soil where I could write my books and do all my research? Or should I concentrate on my duties as a real child, the child of my parents who had to do whatever they could to protect them? What should I do? He didn't know. He was looking for answers. What would you do? He had a choice. What would you do in that circumstance? Well, he, so he's going back and forth, and he says, what I need, I, I need a hint from heaven. I need God to show me somehow, should I go or should I stay? Should I go or should I stay? He was visiting his parents in their home, and he saw on the table a piece of marble that was broken off, and it had one Hebrew letter on it. And he asked his dad, he says, he asked his father, what's that all about? And his father began to explain to him that the Nazis were in control of Austria at the time, and they just leveled the largest Jewish synagogue in Vienna. And his father went through the remains, and he found this one piece of marble, so he kept it. He brought it home. And so Victor asked his dad, what's that Hebrew letter? And he said, those marble pieces represented the Ten Commandments, and that one letter represents one of the Ten Commandments. And he asked his father, he says, um, which commandment did it, did, it, did it represent? And he quoted, honor your father and mother so you may live a long life and it may go well with you. That was Victor Frankl's hint from heaven that he would stay. And he went to a concentration camp and it was brutal, almost lost his life. But God gave him a long life. He lived 50 years after that and he finally died in 1997. So what are our, our obligations from this command today? What are we supposed to do with it? Uh, what does it mean to honor your father and mother as we look at this? If you have your Bibles, hopefully you'll have it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We're going to see three practical ways or applications for this command today. That's for all of us. It's for all of us, whatever age. It's for all age. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Let's read it officially this morning as we all look to the Scripture. God says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. What does that word honor mean? The word honor, same word for glory. You know that? The same word for glory. It, it comes from a word that means heavy, not light, not insignificant. It, it's heavy. It's heavy what it means. So if you go to a restaurant today and you're at that restaurant and the table, maybe in the restaurant, you see there's the governor sitting there, there's the lieutenant governor, and maybe the local mayor. And you look at those that are sitting at the table with you and says, boy, look at over there. There's some heavyweights sitting at that table, right? That's what this means. And to recognize people for who they are, their position, the weight of their position, and we're to honor them. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's saying in regards to our parents. Now, I wouldn't advise you to call your parents heavyweights. They probably wouldn't understand that. They'd probably take that the wrong way. But that's what they, how we were to look at them. They're, they're heavyweights. These people are special, and we need to honor them. But how do we honor them? How do we do that? Well, if you have your outlines, I want to give you three ways we can honor our parents. The first way is with respect with respect. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 3 says this, each of you must respect his mother and father. You must observe the Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. The English standard version says revere his mother and father. That word revere or even respect, we don't use that much in our culture today. It's where we get reverence from, the same word reverence. And it works like this. Our responsibility to God is what? We're to fear him, right? But, but the word fear it's not in the context in the passage of being afraid. Like today, we see Halloween is coming, and people wear those masks, and people are afraid of those, right? That's not what it's meaning here, that we're that kind of fear. It's recognizing who God is. 
It's recognizing he's not like us. He's different from us, right? He's so much greater than us, and we fear him. We fear him because of that. It's having a reverential awe of God that we don't use his name flippantly. We don't talk casually about him. We recognize who he is with respect, and we honor him. That's what it's talking about there, that we honor him with respect. That's what it means. Now, with regards to parents, we respect and we revere him. What does that mean? Would you be surprised they're the same words in the Hebrew language? The exact same words that get, that's used? So that we are to respect their parents as we are to fear God. Perhaps we learn to fear God properly as we fear or revere our parents properly. So by respecting them, it means we speak highly of them. We don't have names that we have for them behind their backs. No matter, no matter what, what's happened, no matter what, it's for all people that we do that, all expectations. So what about you say, what does the Bible say if I'm smarter than my mom and dad? If I'm smarter than my parents, do I still have to respect them? I don't know if you ever heard of Mark Twain. I, I like what Mark Twain said about this. He says, I left home when I was 14 because my father was so ignorant and it was hard to be around the old man. When I returned when I was 21, I was astonished how much he had learned. And it's so true. When, are, when children are in their teens, many times they think, boy, my mom and dad, they don't know anything. They're not smart at all. They don't know anything. I'm so much smarter than they are. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand it. When they start hitting their 20s and they hit their 30s, they start saying, man, mom and dad are smart. They had a lot of life experience, and they've got a lot of wisdom, but they don't understand that because they're out of the house usually. They don't get that, and that's what he was saying. No student or child can ever say, I can't respect my parents because they're not perfect. I can't respect my parents because I'm smarter than them. I can't respect my parents. No, he says, respect your parents. Same word. Same word for God. We're just respect or revere our parents. Same word that he uses. He goes on to share that respecting them would involve some implications for our own life. But he takes it even further to the second point in the message. The second way we honor our parents, with our submission. With our submission. Submission is related to respect. You can respect those all-star quarterbacks, but you don't have to submit to them, right? Uh, because they're not, you're, you're not in authority line under them. Like if you go to a restaurant, I'm talking about restaurants a lot, so you probably got to get hungry. You probably think, I'm hungry. But you go to a restaurant, and there's an all-star quarterback sitting over there. He says, wow, look at them. And they look over at you and say, you know what? You need to get a haircut. You need to stop eating those chili fries because they're not good, good for you. You don't have to do what they tell you to do, right? You don't have to do that. You can respect them, but you don't have to do what they tell you to do. The, my point is you can respect people, but you don't have to submit to everyone whom you give respect, right? But with your parents, you do. Your parents, you do. Paul wrote the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, and he says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, you may enjoy long life on the earth. So he's saying to parents from this passage, I want to talk to parents what he's saying to you. He's saying to you as parents, you have to be more than a debit card for your children. You have to be more than a debit card. You're not there just to buy stuff and do things like that. Then you have to be an educator. You have to be a teacher. You have to be a model. You have to be an example. You have to bring out the very best in your children. That's what you're asked to do. That's your responsibility. So, and how do we do that? By then coming to know Jesus and learn how to walk with them. That's your responsibility as parents, to bring out the very best in your children. To children, he says, you have to honor your parents. By being in submission to them is what he's saying. We're to submit to them. What does that mean? That means obedience. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It means submissive in our actions as children to our parents. For children to say to their parents, no, I'm not going to do this, that's not right. For their parent have to say, 
over and over repeat the command they're telling their children to do. That doesn't work. Children must obey their parents is what God says. If you're living in a household with your parents, you must obey your parents. That's what he's saying. Obey your parents. Not only is there submission in action, but there's submission in attitude. Where the attitude has to be the one where we're in the house where I'm here, I'm here, here to learn to grow. Whatever you want me to do, I will follow and I will obey you, mom and dad. That's, that's what God is saying. That you will follow, obey the parents while you're in that household. You're to listen to what they say. So there's not much room, wiggle room here for you the rolling of the eyes of when mom and dad's not looking. Or to say they're so old-fashioned. Or the shrugging of the shoulders when they're not looking. Those are attitude issues, and they don't communicate being submissive, right? That obedience will change as a child grows up, and it may look different as the child grows up, as they grow up and they understand uh, the wisdom that their parents have from their life experience. And parents do. They have wisdom from life experience. And that the child and their wisdom start to ask more questions of their parents and ask it, and we'll, we'll learn and we'll grow, and that relationship will grow, it will evolve, and it will change to one day, usually when they're out of the house, they can learn from each other. Not only is the parent teaching the child, but the child begins to teach the parent. It's a wonderful relationship that God has made between a parent and child. It's wonderful when it's working right. God has it that's working right. But through the course of growing up, though, honor always has to be there. There's no shelf life. There's no timeline. There's no time where we don't honor. We always have to honor our parents is what God says. Always honor them. But honor will take different shapes. As we begin our own family units before God in the midst of a greater family, it's going to take a different shape. But until then, we're to submit. We're to submit. We're in the household. You're to submit to mom and dad. That's what you're to do. You're to submit to mom and dad. Unless they're asking you to do something against God's word, and we'll get that in a moment. The third way we honor our parents, by taking care of them in their elder years. Uh, this one may surprise you because so many in our culture are saying, what am I going to get from mom and dad's estate? You, you know what I'm talking about. What am I going to get from the estate? We're going to take this, we're going to divide this between the three of us, the four of us, the five of us, the six of us. What are they going to give to me and to us? What am I going to get? I want this, I want that. And here, God shares something different that we need to grab hold of this morning, what he shares with us. Provision in the old age, what we can provide for our parents, taking care of them in the midst of their elder years. If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4 and 8. 1 Timothy is toward the end of the New Testament. It's after the book of Thessalonians, but it's before Hebrews. It's somewhere in between there. So if you can find it real quick, if you can't find it real quick, it's kind of a sword drill. So hurry up. Who finds it first, you, you just get good, good job on that. But find that. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, through, 4 and 8. Just two verses. And he says this. Very important what Paul picks up on. I'm reading from the ESV. I like the, how they translated this. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. A couple of things that, I, that, that really stands out to me from this passage is, first of all, Talking about the children and the grandchildren, let them first show godliness. Notice that. This is how you show godliness is what he's saying. So godliness is demonstrating for children and grandchildren and helping out a grandparent or a parent in their old age that needs help. Perhaps it could be uh, financial assistance to help them in that. 
Probably it's helping them with physical needs if there's something for that. That's what God is talking about. But he ties it with godliness. He's tying it here with godliness. To do this shows godliness. Then he uses a term they're all familiar with in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. So you make a good return for them. We're all familiar with our eyes, right? Return on investment. We're all familiar with that, right? That, so parents invest in our children. They invest in their 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 children a thousand different ways. They invest in their children. But he says, now children, the time may come where you need to be a good return on your parents' investment. That's what he's saying. The time may come where you need to be a good return on your parents' investment. That could mean that if your parents need assistance, and you have the ability to help them, your parents, or even your grandparents, you should do so. You should do it, is what he's saying. Some of you may have families, and from your family, you say, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything coming to me from my family, from my parents, from my grandparents. I don't have anything coming for me. Is it possible that I, God has something from you going to them, help them in their time of need? Is it possible that's what God has? He says, not it's going from them to you, but it's going from you to them, that you need to help your parents or your grandparents in their time of need. The Apostle Paul uses very strong words here, very strong words, to not to do this. He says it's an act of ungodliness is what he's saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, that would be parents and grandparents, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's bad. That's bad. He's not saying you lose your faith. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is to do it is a demonstration of the faith that you already have. To not do it may indicate you never had the faith to call yourself a Christian. And he says, and if you are a Christian and you say you're a Christian and you're not helping parent and, and grandparent, you need to check to make sure you have the faith. You understand the difference? Because if you have the faith, you should be doing this. You should be there for your parent and grandparents. That's what he's saying here. That's what, that's what he's communicating here. Let me share something else. I know that's kind of heavy when we look at this fifth commandment, but it's deep what he was saying here to them, and they would understand this. Let me share another passage from Proverbs chapter 23, beginning with verse 22 and 23. It says this, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. What are you saying, buying the truth? In other words, by the truth is what he's saying. Whatever, whatever means possible, by the truth. He's saying, get wisdom, get truth, get understanding, get discipline. Uh, don't sell it. Get it from your parents. Get all you can from your parents. Get everything you can. He's not talking financial. Wisdom, understanding, discipline, truth, all those things that you can get from your parents. Get it all, he says. And then he goes on to say this in the next two verses of Proverbs 23, verse 24 and 25. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. That's return on investment, what he's saying. That's the return on investment what we all want. He's saying, parents, train your children so that they may be righteous. That's our goal as parents and grandparents. Train your children that they may be righteous. What does that mean? That they're right with God, that they know Jesus, they have a relationship with God through Jesus that they're right with God. But not only that, sometimes parents think, well, they know Christ, that's all that matters. No, 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 that's what he's saying. Train them that they may walk in that righteousness now. Not only that they know Jesus, that they may walk in that obedience and righteousness. And what is that? Being obedient to the commands and God's word. 
So we as parents have to spend time with them, sharing God and his word with them. So not only do you know Jesus and they're living right before God is righteous, but they're walking in that righteousness, that they know the word of God and we're, we're teaching them that. You know, there's a word that I hear, hear parents describe their children as they're growing up. It's almost a default word is what they use. You probably heard it too. Oh, oh he's a good kid. You ever hear people say that? Oh, he's a good kid. That can almost mean every, anything, right? He's not what I want him to be, but he's a good kid. She's not what I want him to be, but she's a good kid. Let's raise the bar. Let's raise the bar. Even let's raise it beyond, way beyond being good. God doesn't say to raise good kids. He says to raise righteous kids. Let's raise them to be righteous. That's what he wants. The Bible says a righteous child will bring joy and delight to a father and mother. You want to bring joy to mom and dad when they're getting older? Live a righteous life. Children, live a righteous life. That's the way to do it. Live a life that's right before God first by knowing Jesus as your Savior. You're righteous. You have a life right. And now living obedience to God in his word. You want to bring joy to your mom and dad's heart? That's the way to do it. That they see you living right before God in a right relationship and living in a righteous life. You will please your parents beyond belief. That will bring great joy to their hearts and minds to know that you are doing that. That's how he wants to do it. So understand our obligation and honor. It involves respect. It involves submission. It involves obedience. And then it also involves taking care of them and living a righteous life, right? Let me give you an implication for this through the life of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled this fifth commandment perfectly. There's a story told in Luke chapter 2, the only account that we have in the first 30 years of Jesus' life outside of the birth accounts. Uh, there's an account where he and his family would leave Nazareth and they would go down to Jerusalem. From north to south, we would say down, they would say up, because the city of Jerusalem is on a hill. So they would go up to the city of Jerusalem. So they went up to the city of Jerusalem for the uh, Feast of Passover, and Jesus was about 12 years old. And so they worship there, they have a celebration, and then they leave. They leave with family and extended family. And the and extended family could be a large group of people because they're family and extended family. So they leave there, and the Bible says they get a day's journey away. Well, the day's journey in Bible times was about 20 miles away. So they're about 20 miles away. And also they come to the conclusion, hey, somebody's missing. Who's gone? Jesus, where is he? Where is he? They couldn't find him. Have you ever lost a child? You panic. So they're panicking. Where is Jesus? They go back to find Jesus, and they say, three days later they saw him. He's in the temple. And he's there listening and asking questions. And the next verse says, they were astonished at his answers. And his mother Mary kind of says to him, let me paraphrase, how could you do this to us? How could you do this, Jesus, to us? Is basically what she said to him. And Jesus said, why were you searching for me? He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And so right there, Jesus let it be known that there's a bigger cause than mom and dad, and that's the cause of my heavenly father. There's a bigger cause than the cause of my heavenly father. Was he submissive to his parents? Well, the very next verse tells us that he went down to Nazareth with, with them, and he, was, and he was obedient to them. So he submitted to his parents, right? He submitted to his parents. But later on, Jesus began his ministry in Mark chapter 3. It's the early part of Jesus' ministry. And at that time, his mother and brothers weren't buying into it. They weren't believing all that Jesus said he was. They didn't understand what he was saying, and perhaps they even thought that Jesus was kind of crazy. He's got to be out of his mind. And so they go down where Jesus was teaching to go down to get him. And some people believe it was maybe a part of, maybe an intervention they're going to do. So they go to the man and said, 
go tell Jesus that his mother and his brothers are here. So the man goes inside, and he tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are waiting outside. And Jesus was teaching, and he looked at those sitting at his feet, and he says, who is my mother and my brothers? Aren't you my brothers and my, my mother and my brothers, those who are here, being obedient to the will of God, to doing the will of God? Aren't you? Aren't you my mother and brothers? And what he was saying, this is really important, that there is a spiritual family that at times trumps a physical family. That there's a spiritual family that at times trumps a physical family. And some of you might think, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. I'm going to explain it. Just give me a moment. But just imagine uh, this man coming back to Mary and her sons, uh, Jesus' brothers, and they ask him, is Jesus coming? He says, you know, I don't think he's coming. I don't think he's coming. Would you tell him that we're out here? He said, yeah, I told him. What did he say? He goes, I don't really know how to take that. I don't really understand what he's saying. Because he said, my mother and brothers are those who are here doing the will of God. Spiritual obedience is what he was talking about. Those who are doing spiritual obedience. Jesus once said, I haven't come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword, or a sword that's going to divide a father from a son, a mother from the daughter, a daughter-in-law from the mother-in-law. And those who come to know Jesus, oftentimes will experience that in their family. And, and I've seen people who come to know Christ, and they shared it with their family, and the family wouldn't have anything to do with them. They're kind of outsiders. I remember when I was a new believer in Christ, and uh, there was a Jewish man that got up in front of the church. And he was a very wise man, and he shared when he was a young man that he accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And he went to share it with his mom and dad. And at that time, his, mom, his dad looked at him, took his collar and ripped his collar and began to weep and said, my son is dead. He died. And he wouldn't have anything to do with his son for the rest of his life. He wouldn't talk to his son at all. And here we have Jesus. He fulfilled this commandment. And he says, anybody who loves a father and mother more than me is not worthy to be called my disciple. Because they, have they put mother and father before Jesus. And they have violated the first commandment. You shall not have no other gods before me. And so what Jesus was doing in a perfect sense, what he was doing here in this passage, he was fulfilling the first commandment, but at the same time, he was fulfilling the fifth commandment. Now here's the thing. When push comes to shove, listen to me, when push comes to shove, the first commandment trumps the fifth commandment. You understand me? The first commandment, if push comes to shove, the first commandment always has to trump the fifth commandment. And some people have to real, realize that in their family situation. So if you come to accept Jesus as your Savior and your family say, oh, you shouldn't go to church, you shouldn't be a part of that because we don't like that, why would you do that? And you say, well, I'm going to cater to my parents and, and them because I want to fulfill the tenth, fifth commandment and you're ignoring God. You've just violated the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And you've given them priority over God. And nothing, absolutely nothing could have priority over God. He is first. The first commandment trumps that. And I've known people who accepted Christ as their Savior because they've had such turmoils with their mom and dad and brothers and sisters and other family that they actually left the church to follow that. And they became miserable people because they could not satisfy them and they left the true love because they violated the first commandment. Do you understand? If anybody, anyone, mother, father, grandparent, child, anyone tells you, to, you shouldn't be going to church, shouldn't follow God. You have to obey the first command above anything else before honoring mother and father. Do you understand that? We don't honor mom and dad while ignoring God. That doesn't. God is always our priority. So our 
priorities, God. They should both work in, in t- with, together like Jesus did, but if they don't, if push comes to shove, we have to put the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. We can't put our parents before God. They become a false god. They become a god. God is God. There's no one like him. He's first in our life, right? We have to obey him above everyone else. And then everything else falls in its line the way God wants it to. He'll give us the love for our parents. He'll do that. But we must put him first. When we put other people before God, our lives are all in chaos. We put, we've got it wrong rotation. And we're putting our focus on someone else. And our focus is always supposed to be on him, our creator. He created us. That makes sense. That makes sense. What happened then, I want to further the story. Jesus went to the cross, right? And when Jesus on that cross, you know the story. Who's down at the foot of the cross looking at him? His mother. His mother is looking at him. And Jesus is on that cross, and he's dying for the sins of every man and woman on the face of this world, every man and woman who ever walked in the face of this world. And he's also dying for the sins of Mary. He's dying for the sins of his own mother. And as he's dying for the sins of hers and for all the other world, dying for all their sins, he's up there. He's in pain. He's in torment. But he still cares for his mother while he's on that cross. And he looks at his mom and says, he looks at it and says, woman, behold your son. And he looks at John the apostle and he says, behold your mother. And the Bible says from that time on that Mary went to live in John's house and John took care of her as a mom. He took care of her is what happened there. So Jesus fulfilled the first commandment as well as the fifth commandment, dying for the sins of the world. And to his very last breath, caring for his mom, fulfilling what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the passage I wrote, uh, read you, verses 4 through 8. Let me close in saying something else about this commandment. It says the first commandment with the promise. It's the only one that says with the promise, the first commandment with the promise. What's the promise? That you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's what it reads in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul writes something similar to that in Ephesians in the New Testament. What was God saying in this commandment? He's tying the land that I am giving you is tied, is based on your obedience to live out these commandments, is what he's saying. And one of the reasons they left the land and Israel went into exile, because they were disobedient. Even disobedient to this commandment, honoring their mother and father. And God said, it's time for you to go in exile. You've been disobedient. You're going to come back. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, but you're going to go into exile for a while because you've been disobedient. And he sends him into exile. So, is that true today? Obviously, he's not saying if you're obedient to your parents, you're going to live to be 100 years old. That's not what he's saying. Obviously, he's not saying if you're obedient to your parents, you're not going to have any difficulties. But if you're the natural consequence that if you're obedient to mom and dad, your life could live longer. Let me give you a scenario. If your mom and dad looks at you and says, son or daughter, don't drive your bicycle at nighttime because cars can't see you and drive really fast, and they might hit you. That could save your life, right? So natural consequence, if you're obedient to mom and dad, it could save your life, right? But what is he talking about? You may live a long life in the land the Lord God I'm giving you. What he's saying, you will have the blessing of God. That's what he was talking about. You will have my blessing. When you honor your mom and dad, you have my blessing. My blessing will be upon you. How does this flush out in our own lives? This is it. None of our parents are perfect. We as parents are not perfect. None of us are. We need to honor our parents. And for some, that means forgiving. Some, that means confessing uh, to get things right. So some family's been a rift that's going on for years and years and years. It's been going on for a long time. You say, that's just the way it is. But the Bible tells us to be reconciled. 
to do everything we can to be reconciled to what it says. It doesn't say try. It doesn't say give it a shot. It doesn't say quit. It says to be reconciled. Let's do everything in our power with the Spirit of God to be reconciled with family members, with family, to do whatever we can. And I know you can only do your part, and I can only do my part. There's another party on the other side that may not want reconciliation, but in your power, do everything you can by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to be reconciled to what he's saying. Let me share another thing with you. Some today in this room has been hurt so badly by your parents. I'm sorry about that. That your parents have hurt you, and it's been going on for years and years, and maybe it's a dad that's hurt you. And because your view of your dad now has viewed your, tainted your view of God, and you look at God in a certain way because how your dad treated you. How do you get beyond that? How do we get past that? I don't think it's simple. I think for many, we need to get help and talk to someone to talk this through, to get the help that we need. But I think it begins by recognizing this, that our Heavenly Father is not our earthly father. And, and that he's, he, our Heavenly Father wouldn't do anything bad to us, right? And there's nothing bad in our Heavenly Father. And actually, we need our Heavenly Father's help so we can somehow connect with our earthly father, our earthly mother, that we can connect with him is what we need. So we need to do that. Secondly, let's enjoy the family of God that God has given to us. As Jesus said, who's my brothers and sisters? It's those who are sitting in front of you. That as you come to here on Sunday morning, this is family. Whether you realize it's family, people who love you and care about you. So get to know them. Have fun together. Pray for them. And don't let anything get in the way of you coming here on Sunday morning. It's outside of an emergency. And invite others to come here to be part of this as we worship together. Victor Frankl, remember I shared about him at the beginning? He let his visa expire, but later he writes one of his most famous books, Man Searching for Meaning. He says, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it your target, the more you're going to miss it. For success like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. It only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal ded dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. So this me generation, this me century, it doesn't work. It's relationships, it's family. Let's ask God to help us to honor our father and our mothers, right? Only God can help us to do that, to be the children we need to be to our, to our parents and to our grandparents. And if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it all starts there, that we got to have a relationship with Jesus. That has to be right. And, and, and Jesus came so that you and I would not spend one moment of eternity apart from him. But because we're all sinners, and everyone in this room is a sinner, I hate to tell you, every one of us is sinners, and because of our sins, the Bible says, we are separated from a holy, just, perfect, righteous, pure God. He's pure and holy, and we are not. And so there's a separation between us and God, and you and I cannot bridge that gap. There's nothing we can do because we're sinners. We're not pure and just and perfect and righteous. He is. There's nothing we can do, so God sent his son, Jesus, to come into this world, and he took on the form of a human being, and then he went to the cross, and God placed all those things that separate you from God, all your actions, your sinful actions, all your thoughts, all your words, all your motives, and he placed them upon Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross for all those for you. He paid your sin debt. He was your substitute. He died in your place, and he paid for your sins. That's God's grace. Jesus died in your place. He paid for all of your sins. And so now you and I have a responsibility to accept by faith what Jesus did. When we come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
and I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's God, and he died on the cross for my sins. And today, I accept what Jesus did for me upon the cross. I accept it by faith. It's only through Jesus where we find forgiveness of sins. It's only through Jesus where we find a relationship with God the Father, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's the way God has provided for you and I to have a relationship with him through his own son. And that's the only way he will accept. So you're trying to get to heaven some other way besides Jesus, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You're doing it in your own effort. Your own efforts cannot reach God. It's only through his son. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your faith and trust in him. If you have questions, please see me after this service. For all of us who know Jesus, let's ask God to help us to obey this command. For God tells us, is, I, am, I am your God and you are my people. And we have this relationship because of Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. So we have this special relationship. And you are my treasured possession. And he says, and I, and I want you to be my representatives here on this earth because you're made in my image. And I want you to represent me really, really well. So here's my commandments. This is how I want you to live as you go out and represent. Because when people see you, they're to see God. Because you're his representative. So when they see you, they're to see God. And God says, I want you to be different from all other people. And the way they will know that, not the way you look, by the way you act and respond in your heart and being obedient to my word, that will be different than everyone else in the world. And they will be drawn to you by being different. And that's how God draws people to himself is through you and I. But they see that we're different. We respond different. We act different. We talk different. We do things different. Not like the world. Not vengeance and all that. We have forgiveness and grace and mercy and all that. That's what God wants. You are my representative. And he goes, I want you to represent me really well. This is how I want you to live. And that's what the word of God is. This is how I want you to live. Be different than everyone else. Let's ask God to help us be obedient. Not only in this command, the fifth command, all the commandments. Be obedient to his word and to God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Jesus, when we look into your life, we're always, always, always amazed that you did everything perfect. You were perfect in all your ways. The way you honored the first commandment and the fifth commandment at the same time, but demonstration of scripture, Lord, it just amazes me. You're perfect. And Lord, so many times we look, well, I'm not like Jesus, I'm not perfect, and we kind of laugh that off. And so we do that to justify our sins, to justify the way we live. And God, you told us to be perfect because you are perfect. To live this life is holy because you are holy. And so, Lord, and, and that means it means that's what you want us to do. To not make mistakes. I mean, not to not to make excuses, rather. But to come and yield our hearts and minds to you so you can yield your life and it's yours. And so, Lord, that's what I pray for us. For each one of us would have a heart that's bent on living in obedience to you by obeying the commands. And this one, honor our Father and Mother, so that may go well with you. So, Lord, I, I pray that for each one of us. And, Lord, and many of us, Lord, we've not lived up to these commandments. As we go through them in detail, we find out, well, they're so greater than what we expected. There's so much more to these. And, Lord, and when we come to find out the same God who gave us these Ten Commandments is the same God who sent Jesus to die on the cross. It's the same God who loves me and walks with me day in and day out and will never turn his back on me. It's the same God that offers forgiveness when I sin. And so, Lord, just come to God and say, God, I, I messed up. I haven't lived this way. I never lived in obedience to you. And just confess it, and he promises to forgive us of all of our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's promise. So I just pray right now, Lord, check our hearts. Have we disobeyed you? Have we sinned before you that we might confess it? That we might turn towards you to live our life and say, God, help me to do better. Help me to live the life you call me to live. And the only way we do that is we sing that one song that I surrender to Jesus. That's what God wants. That's how we all respond. As we come and understand that I can't live this life, God. I'll fail every time. That only through Jesus Christ I can live the life you call me to live. So I pray, Lord, this morning that all of us, if we don't know Jesus Christ, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. If we do know Jesus, that we surrender our hearts and minds to you this morning and, and make an admission. I can't live in holiness on my own. I need your help. We empower the Holy Spirit in our life to give us the wisdom, discernment, and strength and power to be obedient to you in all, all areas of our life. And when we mess up, we confess it, but we continue to want to walk in righteousness. That's what you call us, to live righteous. And so, Lord, help us as grandparents and parents and, and to teach our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren how to be righteous, to know Jesus and to walk with him. And, Lord, in order to teach that, they need to see it in our life. They need to see us living that way. So help us, Lord, to be that example and model for our children. Lord, there's so much that we need to do, but, Lord, you will work it all out in our life as we surrender to you. Help us to be all that you want us to be, Lord, and not, not try to compromise not try to justify when we fall, but just confess it and get back on and walk with you. So we surrender our hearts and minds, Lord, as we go to these commandments and realize, Lord, we need your help. We desperately need Jesus. And I pray, I pray for anyone this morning that's going through a, a difficulty right now. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be a sin. If they just come and realize, God, you love them, you're there for them, you will help them through this, that you care for them. And you have the power and you have the strength to do a miracle in their life, to change their life. And you can do that. You can do that. We surrender, ask that they do surrender to you. But Lord, all of us, Lord, that we give you our full attention this morning, that we might surrender our hearts and minds to you. It starts in our hearts, Lord. It starts with our hearts. Deal with our heart this morning as we sing this next song, I Surrender. And Lord, we ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.